yesterday, we celebrated Valentine's Day. Whether you realized it or not, I hope all the married couples realized it, or they realized it by the end of the evening. Right? Yesterday, Valentine's Day, it made me think of some of my memories that I had as a child, Valentine's Day. What do I think of when I hear about Valentine's Day? And I remember, I don't know if they still do this today in school, but I remember being in third grade, and we used to bring Valentines to our friends in the classroom. Do you still do that at school? Yeah. Right? You bring in these Valentine cards, and you exchange Valentines with kids in the classroom. And I remember my mom would get me, you know, those Scooby-Doo, Valentine's, or she would get me Valentine's with Superman or Spider-Man. Not very romantic, but you know when you're in third grade, who really cares about being romantic? Uh, the second thing I remember about Valentine's Day as a kid, and still I don't know if they exist today, but they were definitely a staple when it comes to Valentine's Day parties, were those little candy hearts. You know, they're about this big and they're about 99% sugar. Basically, what they've taken is this sugar cube, and they've changed it from a cube and turned it into a heart. And then they take some ink and they put on there, um, Happy Valentine's Day, or I do, or I love you, or all these different things, right? And kids like to go up and you grab a whole bunch of those sugar cubes disguised as candy, and you eat them all day until you have this sugar rush and you can't go to bed that night, right? Those are the things I remember as a kid when Valentine's Day comes around. I remember the Valentine cards. I remember the little candies. And no matter what your custom was or what you did yesterday for Valentine's Day, everyone has a different uh, custom, a different way of celebrating it to a greater or lesser degree. I think we can all say that just like St. Patrick's Day, if you hear about St. Patrick's Day, you think of what? Green, right? Someone said it over there. Green, you think of green. Everything's got to be green, right? Not blue, not yellow, not red. It's got to be green if it's St. Patrick's Day. And if you say the word or say the words Valentine's Day, everything's got to be in the shape of a heart. Everything has to be in the shape of a heart. You see hearts on cupcakes. You see hearts on cookies. You see hearts cut out of paper. You see sugar cubes that look like hearts. So hearts is definitely, they're definitely the theme of Valentine's Day. Today we're celebrating the sixth Sunday in ordinary time. Relatively speaking, we're still beginning this journey that's going to lead us all the way up to Holy Week and lead us to Easter and beyond. It's only the sixth Sunday of ordinary time. And this year we're going to read from the Gospel, and we are reading from the Gospel of Matthew. So we've heard a little bit about Jesus' birth, we've heard a little bit about John the Baptist, We've heard a little bit about him. Matthew will talk about how he goes out into the desert for 40 days. That'll be our introduction to Lent. And now we have this high point in the beginning of Matthew's gospel where it says Jesus goes up on the mountain and he begins to teach. You might say, well, big deal. Jesus did a lot of teaching during his time, during his three years. What's so particular about the passage that we're reading this evening, that Jesus goes up on the mountain and begins to teach? It's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's very extensive, three chapters in, John, in Matthew where he talks about this sermon of Jesus Christ. Well, Matthew, who's writing to the Jews, he's speaking about Jesus going up on the mountain to teach and what this would have done for any Jew listening to this gospel passage, it would have made them go back and remember 
wait a minute, that's what Moses did. Moses went up on Mount Sinai and taught on behalf of God. He gave the people of God the Ten Commandments and much more. He gave them the law, those first books of the Bible. You see, Moses is the teacher that goes up on the mountain and speaks on behalf of God. And the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come. And what would the Messiah do? The Messiah would be the new Moses. He would be the one who comes and gives the new law. Moses was preparing the way with the old law. The Jews were expectantly waiting for this Messiah figure who would be a prophet like Moses, would be one who spoke with God face to face and would give them a new law. Jesus Christ is that Messiah. Matthew is saying, as he begins his gospel, the first words that Jesus Christ speaks, this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going up on the mountain. He's the new Moses. He's giving us the new law. This evening we heard a phrase that's somewhat puzzling if we stop and think about it. Jesus says the following phrase. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this probably isn't too puzzling to us today, 2014. Why? Because we think of the scribes and Pharisees, yeah, those are the bad guys. Scribes and Pharisees, yeah, they're the ones, boo, they're the ones that were against Jesus Christ. Of course, my righteousness can easily exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. But that's not who the scribes and Pharisees were. Who were the scribes? The scribes were those who knew the law the best. They were the ones who knew how to apply the law to daily life. They were experts in knowing about God and his commandments. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were that group of Jews that decided not to bargain with the Romans, that decided not to compromise their faith, their relationship with God, and they wanted to be those who were set apart, those who were faithful to Yahweh, the Pharisees. Think about what Jesus is saying. He's saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying? Is he saying, I need to know the law better than those scribes? Is he saying that I need to be more devoted to the law than the Pharisees, those who were set apart, those who de they were dedicating their lives to not be like the Sadducees who had compromised everything with the Romans, but to truly give their lives in radical fulfillment of the law? puzzling what's Jesus saying I need to know the law even better I need to practice the law even better than them or I'm not going to get to heaven and the answer is in the three examples that Jesus Christ gives after he mentions that powerful phrase he says you have heard it said to you that if 
you kill, you'll be liable to judgment. And Jesus says, but I say unto you, whoever has anger in his heart, whoever has anger towards his brother, will be liable for ju to judgment. And then he says, you have heard it said that whoever commits adultery will be liable to judgment. And Jesus says, but I say unto you, whoever lusts after another in his heart has already committed adultery. And in the third example, he says, you've heard it say unto you that you must be faithful to your vows before God. What was happening at the time? There was all this legalistic interpretation of, oh, well, I didn't officially make a vow before God, so therefore you don't, I'm not accountable to what I said and I can get out of what I said. And there was all this manipulation. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said that you have to be faithful to your vows, but Jesus says, no, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That is, desire the truth and stop this legalistic finding loopholes. What is Jesus saying with this new law he's giving? Is he saying... My law has to do with the heart. Now, I know when we usually hear that in a sermon, we're like, oh, okay, here we go, another sermon on the heart, and we have to love. And it's been preached on so many times that it kind of loses its impact. I think when it comes to our physical heart, it's easy for us to take it for granted, right? It's easy for us to say, well, the thing's working, it's beaten, I can eat this or eat that or do this or not do that, and it just keeps on beating. It's so easy for us to not really think what our heart is doing. We have to actually stop, reflect, and say, gee, I really need to look at my heart, the condition of my heart. I need to check my cholesterol. I need to make sure that I'm doing exercise, that I'm eating healthily, because even though I might feel okay right now, my heart might be sick. I think the same is true when it comes to our spiritual life and our relationship with God. We can take that part of Christianity for granted. Of course I love God. Tell me what I need to do. Of course I love God. I'm here. And I think Pope Francis is someone we can turn to to give us the answer to how can I really love God? How can I grow in my love for a person that I can't see and I can't touch? You may or may not know, but yesterday Pope Francis met with thousands of couples in St. Peter's Square for Valentine's Day. And they asked the Pope several questions. And one of the questions from these couples, these young couples, was Pope Francis, how do we learn how to love? A deep question. A couple that's about to get married. A couple with all their questions, their uncertainties. Am I going to be able to persevere? Am I be, going to be able to grow in love? And they cry out, they ask Pope Francis, Pope Francis, how do we learn how to love? And Pope Francis replied with three words in Italian. Posso 
grazie, scusi. Translated into English, that means, may I? Thank you. I'm sorry. He said, if those three things are in your marriage, you will be on the path to learning how to love. May I? How do I interact with my spouse? Do I ask, what would you like to do? Where would you like to go? How are you feeling today? What more can I do for you? And the Pope says, when we ask that question, it's the respectful way of entering into a relationship with another person. The question, may I, can I, would you like? And he says the second thing, thank you. That other person is a gift from God. And when we receive a gift, we say, thank you. You know, it's something you as parents have taught your kids. And it's something that sounds easy to do, but when it, when it really comes down to it, when's the last time I said thank you to my spouse? And then lastly, he says, I'm sorry. My dear brothers and sisters, the Pope says, don't ever go to bed without peace in your home. Because he says, if there's something there that's burning within you, the next morning it will become cold and it will become hard. And it's harder to say, I'm sorry. My dear brothers and sisters, if this is true in our relationship with another person in our marriage, it's got to be true with God. And with this I'll finish. Ask yourself, When's the last time you asked God, may I? That is, God, what would you like me to do? When's the last time that I told God from my heart, thank you? And then when's the last time that I told God from my heart, I'm sorry? My dear brothers and sisters, it's deeply important what Jesus has told us this evening. That's why it took so long, and I apologize, why it took so long in this homily. It is key. If our faith means nothing to us, it's because many times we're just doing stuff. The heart is not there, and that's what Jesus Christ is saying. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That is, you won't enter it now. You won't experience happiness now. You won't enjoy the things of God now because your heart's not there. So let's follow the advice of our Pope Francis. May I thank you and I'm sorry.